So by the time she's down, it's kind of like just after seven and then I'm cooking dinner because we need to eat. And so he's kind of on the sling and half sleeping. And, you know, I'm then I'm like by eight o'clock, nine o'clock, I'm like, right now we start the bed routine, which I know is just completely, it's too late. Tove is mum to seven-week-old Jagger, and she's juggling the very real issues of a second-time mum. How to juggle the sleeps, bedtimes, and routines with two little ones. We look at toddler behavior in response to a new sibling, and how to deal with separation anxiety that often raises its head for the older toddler. So stay tuned as we explore the life of a mum of two through the eyes of Tove, Gray, and little Jagger. Welcome to Sense by Megfora, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Megfora, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads just like you to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the Parent Sense app, and catch Meg here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. So good to have you back again. I am loving our weekly chats with real mums, exploring the weekly highs and lows of parenthood. Each week, I am joined by a parent and share my years of experience as an OT and author of eight parenting books, applying the sense to what can be a tricky time in life. And this week, we are joined by Tove, mum to Gray and seven-week-old Jagger. Welcome, Tove. Tell us a little bit about your family and your journey as you embark on parenting for the second time. Hi, Meg. Thanks so much for having me. It's so great to be here. Yeah, so, you know, as you mentioned, I've got a, a little one who's three. Her name's Gray. She is a special abilities kiddo, so we have our hands full. We um, recently moved, uh, relocated to the Channel Islands. So we are kind of navigating a newborn plus the toddler plus a move plus a new, <laughs> a new place all amidst COVID. So it's been a, quite a challenging 18 months, mm. but yeah, adjusting slowly to the, the family of four concept. <laughs> yeah, no, it really is busy. It's a very different stage when you've got your hands full with a toddler and your hands full with, with a newborn. How has Gray yeah. taken to Jagger? Yeah, she's, you know, I think, I think most toddlers struggle anyway, you know, they get clingy and cry at least from what I've read, but you know, she has special ability. So our ability to explain to her that it's okay and we love her and it'll all be fine is, is a lot more complicated because she doesn't really understand. Mm -hmm. So I think she, she's struggling, but she acts out in different ways. She's but she's definitely ticking some of the boxes. She's hysterically clingy when she sees me. Mm. So I try and kind of avoid seeing her unless I know someone can hold him and I can have that time with her. Otherwise she sees me holding him and then kind of throws herself at me. And so trying to, to balance that has been really hard. I found it a lot trickier the second time around than I did, mm. you know, when I had her. Yeah. So it's quite interesting. I mean, I think most kind of firstborns do take a little bit of time. And, you know, what happens in a typical situation is that they actually a little bit oblivious at this age, you know, because it's not that much of an upheaval because the newborn is, you know, kind of in a sling or in a carrier or sleeping or, you know, or breastfeeding under a feeding shawl. And so they're not kind of really conscious that they're 
that much of an interruption, but come three or four months and, you know, sorry to say this, but when the, when Jagger <laughs> gets even cuter and interactive, it becomes even more difficult because they suddenly really are, you know, really alert to the fact that they, that they've got competition here. Um, yeah. So it does, it does ca- classically gets more difficult. What, one of the things that's quite interesting is that when you've got a very involved dad, and I know that, um, Davey is very involved, um, yeah. he's, a, he's a fabulously hands on dad, but when you have a very involved dad, you actually have less sibling rivalry and, and it, it becomes a little bit easier for exactly the reason that you've said that mm. if there's a second pair of hands that can look after one or the other, then the older sibling doesn't feel it as much. What usually happens is that that is actually that the other parents, not the mom. So, you know, the, the, the dad usually will be actually spending more time with the older toddler and that the little one is then, you know, because, because little ones need their moms in terms of breastfeeding and so on. So that is usually what happens, but having a second set of hands is the best way to do it. it certainly that does make a difference. Yeah. I, I think we, we've gone that routine this time around, you know, the first time around with Ray, we both were in the thick of it together. Like we shared the room and we got up and we mm-hmm. shared the tasks and we, you know, climbed the mountain as a pair. This time around, we were like, uh-uh, we divide and conquer because otherwise <laughs> exactly. we're both going to be grumpy <laughs> and irritable and tired and finished. And we were like, at least if one of us is kind of a little bit together and getting some sleep, then hopefully we don't all fall apart. So I kind of am managing him at night and, and he's managing Gray. And as you said, he's kind of taken over the morning routine. But again, I found it quite tricky to get Jagger into a routine where with mm-hmm. Gray, I was very thorough about as quickly as I can, because I also work, how can I get her into a routine as fast as I can so I can kind of manage my hours as well as almost try and get a sense of normality back. But I'm struggling this time around because now, you know, he needs his morning nap. And as he goes to sleep, I need to go downstairs and do gray. And then, you know, he kind of wakes up because now it's noisy and it's chaos everywhere and oh, I'm not around. So, you know, we kind of struggling to get that balance of getting him into a routine because when he has his afternoon nap, I need to fetch Gray from school. Mm, like there's, yeah. you know, there's no one else to do that. So, you know, it's not the, we miss the South African life of the, <laughs> the nannies and the, the constant help. It's Absolutely. not really the same, the side of the world, which means jumping in the car and, yeah. and kind of yeah. putting him in the car and interrupting his nap. Mm, and if he sleeps mm. in the car, great. Yeah. If he doesn't, you know, such as life, she's got to be picked up from school. Exactly. So, I mean, a couple of principles there that could work quite well. Um, so the first one is, you know, and that's a phenomenon of kind of putting babies into cars and them falling, second babies into cars and them falling asleep on the way to go and pick up the older child. That, I mean, it happens worldwide, you know, because you just have to, they, they have to start yeah, in. There are two sleeps that I always say to moms, and this goes all the way through from birth until like four years old, but there are two sleeps that are absolutely critical that if you can do them in the right place, right time, you know, and keep them utterly consistent. And that's the sleep that is around midday. So, you know, he's seven okay. weeks old, so he's probably having like four or five sleeps in the day at the moment. Mm. But the one that is approximately around midday should be in a cot, in a consistent space, and then bedtime. And the reason for that is that those are the two sleeps that are going to be carried all all the way through to through the toddler years. Those are the pivotal ones. So, you know, whether it's the 11, 12 or 1 midday sleep or um, and then, of course, bedtime, trying to do those in a very consistent sleep space, even from seven weeks. And, and I know that sounds young, but they only start to form habits at around 14 weeks. But it's a good rhythm to get into that just those two sleeps happen in the right place. And that means that if you, if you're dropping Gray off in the morning and he has to fall asleep in the car on the way there and you're picking up at two in the afternoon and he falls asleep on the way back, that's fine. But just trying to, you know, have two sleeps that are fairly consistent. Is the important part getting him down and putting him down in that routine? So let's say it's a 
12 o'clock sleep and he sleeps for two hours. I need to fetch her at half past one and I leave at quarter past one. Is it more about the getting him down in the right space in the right environment whether I have to wake him up and put him in the car or yeah. put him in the car and he transitions and he wakes up, then that's not as important as the kind of going down side of it. Exactly. So it's preferably okay. the going down piece of it. Absolutely. Okay. You know, and look, and that won't always happen because sometimes it might happen that his sleep is falling as you are going to go and fetch her and that'll just, that'll just be the way it is. But yeah, the principle is the actual going down, you want to happen in the right sleep space. And, you know, obviously you're a mom of two, so you know what I'm going to say. You've got to be flexible that, you know, it's mm. not, you're not going to get it right. There are going to be days. I know you were saying to me just before we started that he's a bit snuffly today. And so you're wearing him actually at the moment. He's, he's, <laughs> he's on your chest in a, in a carry which is beautiful. And, and that's partly because, you know, you've been flexible enough to say, well, he's just not going to go down today in his cot space because he's a bit, bit snuffly and, and, and maybe not well. So there is a lot of flexibility, particularly at this age. And, and I guess one of my other big things is the evening time, which I think, as you know, I mean, there's witching or suicide hour or however you want to call it from yeah. like, I mean, people say five o'clock. I say kind of like four. You yeah. want to start bringing out the wine instantly. <laughs> but it's, you know, with, with Gray, it's quite a, it was quite, at least quite an important time for my husband and I with her because we both work. So we kind of, you know, she has school and then she has some, we have a bit of help in the afternoon. And then it was kind of, we always did dinner, bed and bath with her. Now we've, we've organized a set of hands, as you said, to kind of help us with that. The idea was actually not to help us with it by the, the nannies doing it, but by us, you know, be, the nannies being able to take Jagger and us being able to do it with mm. her so that we still keep that time with her. But I guess one of my questions is that kind of is really impacting his ability. So by the time mm. she's down, it's kind of like just after seven and then I'm cooking dinner because we need to eat. And so he's kind of on the sling and half sleeping and and then I'm like, by eight o'clock, nine o'clock, I'm like, right now we start the bed routine, which I know is just completely, mm -hmm. it's too late. Is there, you know, should we be trying to integrate him into her bed and bath time? Mm -hmm. So when she beds and baths, I mean, I, I think he's too young to bath with her and I think she would drown him. <laughs> so I don't want to do that. Mm -mm. But whether we try and tie the, you know, the going down time with her yeah. time and, and then actually leave him upstairs and maybe put a camera in the in the room because at yeah. the moment he's kind of still with us in the bassinet in the living area because mm. that's where we are. And Yeah. So it's a, it's a good question and it's a perfect time to ask the question at about seven weeks. So in the very early days, it doesn't really matter where they're going down. They don't form habits and lots of moms want their little ones near them. For instance, like you've said, in the bassinet while you're eating supper or whatever it is. But I would say that between now and the next couple of weeks, I would want to get them into some sort of bedtime routine. And the reason for that is that at 17 weeks, we, you know, he, he's going to hit some sort of sleep progression. It just happens for almost all babies and also start to establish habits. So what he, what happens as he goes down is what he'll expect in the middle of the night. And so you really do start to start to have a knock on effect. Now, I know that's 10 weeks away, but we've got time to work towards having, you know, him having really defined sleep expectations. So that's why from seven weeks old, and, and let's talk about him first, and then we'll talk about how you adjusted into Gray's life as well. So the principle is from about seven weeks, you're going to start to establish a bedtime routine. So what that'll mean is that you'll have a time of day that you'll know that is his end of the day. So for his age, 6.30 is around about the right time. 6.30 to 7 o'clock in the evening is appropriate for little ones to go have their last feed of the day and then go down for the night. You're going to rewind 45 minutes before that because he's still little. As he gets a bit older, like at Gray's age, you'll rewind one hour. 
But for him, it's about 45 minutes. And that'll be enough time to give him like one breastfeed, give him a bath. So to one side, give him a bath and then give him a double breastfeed after. So both sides after bath, because in that way, you're giving him a nice little cluster feed to get him through the night. You're then going to stay in his bedroom. Does he have his own nursery? He's not in the same room as her. (laughs) He does. He's got his own nursery, but at the moment he's sleeping with me. Perfect. That's also absolutely fine. So you'll take him into his his sleep space, which is in your bedroom, and you don't leave there. And you literally will do that calming feed in that space. I like to do a little bit of an oil or aqueous cream rub down. So And that includes like stretching out those limbs, lots of lovely deep pressure. Then you'll swaddle him for his second side, so for his second breast, and then actually put him down and lay your hands on him and stay with him until he's asleep. And that sequence of events all the way through till he's asleep then becomes something that really establishes as a, as a, what we call a sleep association that he will start to kind of hang his hat on. So every night when the lights go dim, he has his bath, he goes, he has one feed, then double feed, then a rub down, then, you know, swaddle. Then he knows that actually this is what's going to happen. And that becomes a real, really important sleep cue. So that's the ideal world. And for any first time mums who are listening, that's what you should be doing in terms of a seven week old bedtime routine. Obviously, come into the picture firstborn and you've got a whole different scenario. <laughs> yeah. And so Gray's um, bedtime will be probably, and her ba- bed and bath time routine will probably be coinciding with his. So she might be going down at seven, um, let's say, and he's yeah. going down at 6.30. You're going to start her bedtime and uh, her bath time routine an hour before because she's a toddler. And so she needs that whole sequence of kind of, you know, a, a bath, yeah. a story, a lot Great. of time. You know, it's, there's a lot of getting into pajamas, the negotiation. I know that she's not a strong negotiator. Well, she's a bit of a strong negotiator, actually. I have met her. <laughs> very, very vocal negotiator. So, and all toddlers are negotiators. They will want to have things done their way. So you need the time to not be frustrated. Now, clearly what anybody who's done any project management can see is that this is going to be a problem because you've got two babies who are actually needing or two little ones that are needing actually quite an intense amount of input at that time. And that's where the second set of hand comes in. So, you know, it's kind of a case of divide and conquer. If you've spent some good time with Gray during the day, my recommendation would actually be to have um, Davy do the whole of the bedtime routine with her because in that way it's consistent. It's the same person. I know that it's not what you guys have done before because you used to share it with her, but my suggestion would actually be to trial that where he does the whole of that. And obviously if you haven't got dad around, you might have granny or other mums might have a, a, a maid or a nanny around. If you are single parenting, it's a whole big, a, a much bigger challenge, which we can talk about as well. But that's the principle. Instead of both, if you're trying to do great, that's what I would do. Now that might create a little bit of guilt for you because you're thinking, well, I'm not part of that. I'm not doing it with her. Mm. But what you can rather try and do is maybe, you know, as dad gets home, he can actually take um, Jago, maybe Jago's still sleeping, but he takes Jago and you actually have your one-on-one time with her or you do it at a different time in the day. But I think having, you know, having two sets of hand, two babies, you, it's going to be a one-on-one situation. You're going to have to not have both if you're involved with Gray. Is, is there a world where you could start his bath and bedtime at seven? So, yeah. yeah, so as she finishes, you know, I can potentially start his bath a little earlier by myself, but at yep. least then I can still do like a dinner with her and then kind of start his routine at seven as she's going down. So then it's just a matter of, exactly. you know, so- eating. 
at some stage yeah. in life if we eat. Yeah. So it's that's so that was actually you know I alluded to the mom who doesn't have a second set of hands, so she's yeah. totally on her own, and that's exactly what she would do. So my recommendation there was always keep the toddler's bedtime utterly consistent because yeah. the problem with toddlers is that if you give a chink, they'll take a mile. So you know you really <laughs> yeah. do need to be consistent with them. And new babies are a little bit more flexible, and so you know having them on you, like let's say you were uh, an, uh, an, uh, a single mom, you would have him on you in the carrier while you did her bath, her reading, her whatever, get her down, and then you start his process. So yes, you definitely can kind of do it one after the next, uh, sequence it. Yeah. And then of course there is, as you've alluded to, the very important part about actually having you time, you and Davey and dinner time together in that glass of wine. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and it, you know, I think what it, it, it does come, but it needs consistency. So, you know, if, if you, if you really set up a really strict routine of actually, this is when she's going down, this is when he's going down, but half past seven, hopefully you'll actually emerge and then be able to actually sit down and have some adult time and adult conversation. So, so we're actually moving houses at the moment. So let's throw in another dilemma. Mm. And I am wondering, Gray's obviously playing up at night a lot. And I, mm. I don't know if she's seeing the boxes and obviously doesn't really understand what's going on. Or if she's realized that he's here to stay and is and not going anywhere. <laughs> she's <laughs> like, hold on, this is not, not so fun. So, you know, my thinking was, is it better to start him in the routine once we're kind of in the house and we settled rather than trying to, to do it ad hoc now over the next kind of two weeks? Do we wait until we, you know, back into a, a new space to kind of kick all of that off or does it really matter? Yeah, it's a very good question. So, and it actually is a, it's a bigger question than just this situation, but let's talk about this situation first and then I'll talk about other situations because change is just always a massive thing. Because he's so little and because his long-term memory doesn't exist yet, you could kick it off right now. There would be no harm in that. However, sometimes there are changes when changes are happening that you wouldn't want to actually start earlier. Like for instance, an example would be, let's say, now I know this is not what you're doing, but let's say you're going to be potty training Gray. Now, when you're potty training, there's no point in doing it before a big upheaval because you're just going to have a massive regression afterwards. So something like potty training, like if let's say a mum is potty training a three-year-old and she's got a newborn who's about to arrive or they're moving country or they're changing time zone or they're moving house, I would just say, hold off on that, on that drama until you've moved. Same as, as an example, if you were moving gray into a big bed rather than a cot, I would say, hold off until you've had the upheaval yeah. because the, you, you know, just rather get yourself there and then you can establish it. But because actually of, of Jagger's age, I would start it immediately just because, you know, and then obviously, and I mean, you, you will do it with, with flexibility because there will be nights where like you're unpacking boxes and you just have actually completely forgotten to start his bedtime routine or, you know, whatever it is, you know, that's, <laughs> that, that will happen. But yeah, in, in principle, yes, starting it now, I think would be a good idea. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, yeah, that's very helpful. And then I think the other thing that I'm, struggling with, which I know was such an important part of, of what I did with gray. And I just loved was kind of that, you know, when that, when you do breastfeed and when you do feed that you have that kind of quiet sensory time, you know, no phones and kind of really connecting during the day, the eye contact and the cuddling and the whatever. And then at night, you know, none of the eye contact, but the smells and the lavender. And now it's just, you know, like I'm feeding downstairs next to gray while doing, you know, feeding her egg in the one hand and there's mm -hmm. a toy that's spinning on the floor and screaming and singing and lights flashing everywhere. And I just think this kid's sensory overload <laughs> must be yeah. 
insane. Because Grey is a sensory seeker, everything is loud and noisy and big and in your face. Mm. And I keep wondering how that might be impacting his sensory world because, you know, we can't escape it. It's kind of everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really interesting because Grey and Jagger, just like any other sibling, sibling couple are going to have very different sensory personalities. And it's actually more about their individual sensory personalities that the, as to how you should manage it, then actually about a principle that works for all children. So let's look at Gray and Jagged. Gray is a sensory seeker, as you've mentioned. You know, she, she needs noise. She needs movement. She needs touch. She's, she's, she's a very, she's a real sensory seeker. So we call those babies social butterflies because they're seeking sensory information. And luckily I've met Jagger, Jagger and he's not a sensitive baby. He is quite a laid back baby. And, you know, if Jagger was a very sensitive baby, then all of that noise and Organization would actually be a very definite disruption for him, and we would have be having a quite a different conversation because he would be a niggly baby, he would be irritable, he would be crying a lot because he would be in, in sensory overwhelm. The fact that he isn't, and in fact he's probably a settled baby from what I've seen of him, means that actually all of that sensory information that's going on is quite a good match for him. It will, okay. in time, probably mean that he will emerge as some sort of social butterfly or just a settled baby, either one of those two. But he's not going to be a sensitive or slow to warm up baby. And those are the four sensory personalities I always talk about, which is slow to warm up and, and so and sensitive are our more sensitive profiles, and then our social butterfly and our settled are our more dormant profiles or our more more laid back profiles in terms of the fact that they, they can t- deal with a huge amount of sensory information. So actually kind of when I talk about your babies and your little ones, Jagger's actually going to just thrive in what the situation has dealt him. And I think the match <laughs> of their personalities is absolutely perfect, you know? And so I think, you know, I think you don't need to worry about the fact that there's just a lot going on. The other thing that we know is that second children just tend to slot in because they have to, and they just mm. generally, you know, they, they, they just generally have to. So, so that's what he's going to do. And he's going to thrive on the busyness. And in about, I, I can tell you now that if we're talking in five weeks time, you'll be telling me that he packs up laughing every time she comes into the space because <laughs> everything that she does will be amusing for him. And so that will, that will come. But yes, um, I don't think you need to worry about his sensory, his sensory state in the context of a very busy toddler. Okay. okay well, that's good to know because there's definitely no controlling it at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah otherwise I think, yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's, there's a lot of questions I have around Gray adjusting to it, especially being a nonverbal kid. And definitely we've seen her impacting her sleep at the moment. And she's very restless and very clingy. As I said, when I walk in the room, hysterical. Mm. And if there are any kind of good strategies around trying to, Mm. to combat that. Yes. So that's, I, I love that you've brought that up. So that almost all babies or toddlers will have a period of a real kind of upheaval, particularly in their sleep, um, with, with a new baby. And as I said to you, it usually happens a little later when the little baby becomes much cuter. But obviously in your case, it has happened earlier. And that plays out usually in two ways. The so one is that they start to resist bedtime and become really tricky to actually get down. And the other one is that they wake up more at night. And in actual fact, that pattern often happens when there's any major upheaval. So mom goes back to work is another example of that. Or toddler starts play school, also the same situation. 
And part of that is that there's a, a loss of sorts of, of your one-on-one attention for, for the toddler. And so they feel that and they, you know, they then start to demand and they start to almost have like a, a rise of separation anxiety, which, you know, we have our classic ages for separation anxiety. One is between seven and nine months and the other one is actually in the toddler years. And so they start to wake up more often. Now there's a fabulous strategy that we use for that. Um, and it's called watch, wait and wonder or floor time. Watch, wait and wonder was developed by a psychologist in America called, um, Elizabeth Muir. And it's a beautiful kind of interaction that we have with little ones. And it's been kind of further advanced by a doctor in Australia called Mark Zillabilowitz. And this watch, wait and wonder time is what I recommend. So what it is, is you're going to get a, like a plastic box, an empty plastic container or a cardboard box of some sort. And into that, you're going to put things that are, that you know, really capture Gray's imagination or, you know, really float her boat. So it could be a dolly with a bottle, or it could be some Duplo, or it could be a book. And I know how she loves books, or it could be, um, you know, really something that you just know she absolutely loves. I love to put in toy telephones so that they can do pretend conversations and put it like a cluster of things into this box for you, for her and becomes your, your special play box. Now, what you then do is you at a certain time of day, and often it's just before bath time, like at about four o'clock in the afternoon, you actually take that down. Out, and so it's up at the top of the cupboard, you take it down, you sit on the floor with her and you put your cell phone away and you spend 15 minutes of doing absolutely nothing except following her lead. And it sounds like the most simple thing, but you can actually go and Google videos on it. It's, it's quite actually quite remarkable to watch because when a mum sits still and absolutely focuses on their little one, it kind of really just, your little one, Gray will look at you like, oh my gosh, you're still for a while. What are we going to do together? And so you have this like really deep connection that you do. And at that time, Jagger must be with somebody else if possible or sleeping. So you can pick his sleep time to do it. But to do this watch, wait and wonder time is an amazing thing. And what it seems to do, and I mean, I've worked with it a lot. It's, it's, a, it's a form of play therapy, I guess, but I I've worked with it a lot with lots of little ones, is that it seems to fill their emotional tank. And so night times get easier. So bedtime routines get easier, night times get easier. And particularly in the context where let's say Davy's doing her bedtime routine, having you having spent this unadulterated, very focused one-on-one time is really, really good for her. Can I ask, is that, I mean, having, you know, as I said, we're on a special abilities journey with Grace. So we, we, see a lot of therapists, um, is, is doing that, that kind of routine, which I love the idea of in a, in a, like a clean space, i.e. not in her playroom where there's 45,000 other toys, but rather, you know, in her bedroom where it's maybe a little more peaceful or mm-hmm. our lounge where there's not, you know, not all mm-hmm. those distractions so that she is, because yeah. my challenge with her is actually getting her to engage with me. So, so, so kind of removing other obstacles, um, so that I actually get to fill that that emotional tank because she's giving me the attention too. Yeah, that's exactly what I would recommend. So keeping it in a clean space, in a quiet space. Um, I love the idea that you've just said of having it in her bedroom rather than in her playroom. Um, I think that is a good option. I mean, for some moms who are very busy, and this is like for working moms, it's a particularly fabulous strategy, is actually uh, at the end of the day, um, even after bath or before bath, actually shutting the bedroom door and going into the bedroom and having it done in there is a really good idea. Um, and, you know, so if you're not, for the moms who are listening, if they're not able to do it in the afternoon because they're working till five o'clock and they've got all this mom guilt, which is like, a, a, you know, part, of, part and parcel. Yeah. It's a wonderful way to have that re- real connection. And, you know, what's quite interesting. I've, I've obviously got um, older children and, and a teenager is that this watch, wait and wonder should follow your child through their entire life. Now, if you think about Jagger, he has watch, wait and wonder 
every single time you breastfeed him because mm. you're dead still. You're smelling his top of his head. You're touching his hands. You're actually just doing exactly what he needs in that moment. So you do a lot of watch, wait and wonder when you breastfeed, which is why it's and, and feed. It's such a slow time. When they're teenagers, what's quite interesting is that the principle is that when they get home from school, sit across from them at the, at the table mm. where you're having lunch and just don't say anything or just say, you know, how was your day or, or how are you feeling? And then when, when they're silent, you just sit there in silence and you wait and a teenager will eventually the silence becomes a little bit uncomfortable and the teenager will then <laughs> fill it um, because they're not loving the silence. And that's when that watch, wait and wonder really happens. So uh, really prioritizing that watch, wait and wonder time where you just shut everything else out and you, you create that connection is important. Okay. That's really, um, yeah, that's a really great strategy because I think, as you said, it's also not like hours of time, which you don't really have. So that 15 minutes, 20 minutes is, is very mm. manageable, mm. which is great. It's nice to have realistic. Yes, it is the discipline of just the 15 minutes. And it actually is awesome because like you said, it's a very short chunk of time, in fact, um, but the discipline is the daily part. So it's making sure that every single day, this is in the diary, that this is what we're going to do. And and when you watch the videos of it, they're absolutely fascinating. I'll pop some up on my YouTube because at first, um, toddlers in particular are a little bit confused and, and teenagers, you can imagine when mom's silent for 15 <laughs> minutes, you know, they're kind of confused and looking, look at you for a while, for the first few days, like, okay, so what are you expecting of me? And then, then they realize, oh my gosh, she's mine. Like this is, yeah. this is our time. And it's, you know, it's almost like a breakthrough time for them. That's amazing. Okay. So probably maybe a last question because I'm probably taking up all your time. Yeah. No, it's but, been lovely um, chatting. But um, one of the things we do is Gray doesn't go down easily or doesn't, you know, she won't go to sleep with us in the room. So we'll kind of do her book. We'll give her the choice of three books she'll choose her, you know, her two, she gets two, but she chooses from three or four, um, read her books, give her a cuddle. And then we leave like a nightlight on her humidifier with her lavender, which was as per my sleep sense book um, is still going. And, um, what we've done is because she doesn't tend to go to sleep quickly or easily, but after your sleep course, we did the kind of the methods of getting her to self-soothe and put herself to sleep. When we transitioned her into a bed, she all of a sudden realized she had access to this room and we were like, oh dear goodness, this is terrifying. <laughs> and we did the latch on the door and yes. it would be like a shining episode where you would just see these hands and these arms coming out the side of the door. It was <laughs> terrifying coming up the stairs. Um, we started putting books into her room. So we kind of chose something we knew would motivate her, but wasn't wildly stimulating. Yeah, lovely. Um, and we put like four books and, and every week we kind of change those books up. And then she kind of just runs around her room and plays in her room and reads her books. And, you know, she might rattle at the door initially, but then she stops. We don't go in, but we are finding it's taking her a lot longer to settle at the moment. So she's kind of, we do all of this at seven o'clock. You know, we put the latch on the door. We love you. Good night. Best wishes. And then she can go to like nine, 10. Yeah. So quite typical actually at this age. So first of all, I love the principle of not hovering around in the room with her and that, you know, for other mums and dads who are listening, who are thinking about, you know, toddler bedtime shenanigans, um, this latch on the door is something that, um, Tove, you would have learned from my, my sleep sense yes. course. And that, and that it's is brilliant. It, it holds the door adequately open that they can kind of know that you're there, but it contains them in the room. And when they're used to it, which, which is exactly what she is, um, they'll actually play until such times they're ready to fall asleep. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, often they'll, 
read a bit and then they'll hop into bed or they'll kind of play with their Legos on their bed and go to sleep. So that's absolutely perfect. When it's taking till nine o'clock at night, as it is with her, one of the things that I would look at is how long her midday sleep is. She's obviously at school until you said one o'clock. Is that correct? Yeah, hop, yeah, hop is one. So she tends to nap. If she naps, she's she's kind of in the process of occasionally dropping, dropping it. it. Mm-hmm. But if she naps, it'll be very. If she's been up a lot at night, um, because she's ill or, or you know got a bit of a snotty cold or something, then she'll tend to nap between like eleven and one. And if otherwise, she kind of naps between half past two and like half past three. We never let her do more than an hour. Yeah. Forty-five minutes is obviously the goal, and nothing past four. Yeah. So look, I mean. If she sleeps after two, yeah, she's going to push out bedtime till nine, unfortunately. And, the, and you know, and that's because the time of day for her to have a sleep is actually 12 till two. Okay. And so any mom who is dealing with bedtime shenanigans like that, where she's carrying on until nine o'clock at night, which is very late, it probably is actually that she's sleeping too late in the day. Now, that's a conundrum for you, because if she doesn't fall asleep at 11 o'clock at school, what do you do to get her through the afternoon? Mm. So look, I mean, in that t- in that the principle there could be she can fall asleep in the car on the way home and then you wake her as soon as she gets home. So she's had kind of 15 minutes of sleep. And I know that with your move, you're going to be further away from school. And so maybe that'll actually happen for her, that she might just fall asleep on the way home and then you just wake her when she gets there. But if possible, whenever possible, not ha- not letting her sleep after two o'clock would definitely help with that. Okay. Is it is it a bad thing? I mean, we don't mind her going to bed at nine or 10 because she's learned the strategy of self-soothing. She's not screaming Mm. for us to come in. Mm. She's Mm. just playing with her books quietly, doing Mm. her thing and often falling asleep on the floor or falling asleep on a chair or a table. She Mm. very rarely falls asleep in her bed. (laughs) That's always magical. But, but, you know, it it doesn't bother us much because it it doesn't require any input for us. We just keep an Mm. eye on her. Mm. But it is something that I've just kind of flagged as, is that good for her? Yeah, it's it's no problem. I mean, I think... I mean, the principle should be that she would fall asleep in her bed and, and most toddlers probably will, would do that. But I don't see that there's a problem with that at all. You know, the fact that she's not distressed, she's, she's having a little bit of downtime and chill time. I mean, my, my middle child, who's my most self-regulated baby, amazing sleeper from very early on. She did that all the way through. She used to hum to herself. She used to read books to herself and she amazing. just, you know, kind of, yeah, got on with it. And she's a very self-regulated older child now, um, young adult. So yeah, no problem with that as long as she's not distressed, obviously, which she's not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. It's been absolutely wonderful chatting to you. Thank you for sharing your journey as a mom of two now. I know that it'll resonate with lots and lots of moms of two little ones, and I'm sure a lot of this information will be very useful for them. So thank you. Thanks for having us. It was awesome. And thanks for all the advice. (laughs) It's a real pleasure. Lovely, lovely to chat. Thanks, Tove. Chat soon. Thanks, Meg. Cheers. Bye. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.